the reading is uh, from 1 John chapter 3, verse 21, and that's on page 1227 of the Church Bibles. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. I'm just gonna move this. Well, Today officially marks the last day of Christmas um, as we celebrate Epiphany tomorrow. Um, so you are in one of two camps. Your tree is already down and you've reclaimed the space in your home or you're mourning today because those decorations have to come down. Um, but either way, you have 354 days to go to prepare for next Christmas. Um, and you get an extra day this year because it's a leap year, right? But what will those 354 days hold? What are your hopes? What are your expectations? What are your fears? Some of those aspirations will be very evident in the New Year's resolutions that you've made. And I haven't broken any yet, mainly because I didn't make any. Um, because I know that by the 5th of January, I would have broken them several times. There's absolutely no point. But Epiphany is that time when we have a sudden revelation, a moment that we understand something we didn't understand before. And it is the moment where Christ manifests himself to the Gentiles as they were represented by the wise men. The first time God showed he was going to be different and he was going to be for all people. And he began as he was going to continue, revealing himself, as he so often did, to the unlikely people in the most unlikely places. And he did it just by his presence. 
Now, the wise men were interesting, and they were called wise men. They were astrologers. They, they basically told them what was going to happen in the future. Um, most people would really like to know what was happening in certain areas, but I think when you get to the end of the year and you look back, you say, thank goodness I didn't know what was going to happen in this year um, for some of the things. But here they were, incredibly intellectual, wiser than everybody, and they'd reached the end of their human limits. And at the end of our human limits, whether it be physically, intellectually, or emotionally, is a deep longing for God. And we may or may not recognize that. The wise men at this point didn't recognize it. They had just foretold that there was going to be a new king born, and they were on the hunt for him. But you see, in that deep longing, which is in, in, in each of us, there's a poverty of spirit. And until we find Jesus, we don't turn it into riches. It doesn't matter what we seek. It just cannot be satisfied other than the, by the presence of God. This was a time, as you saw from the cartoon, um, of political and religious upheaval. It was a dangerous time. They were led by King Herod, who was a tyrant. And basically, that anything that got in his way or threatened his reign or did something that he didn't want them to do, he basically got rid of them. And the, the wise men, unbeknownst to them, actually caused more problems um, than they were realizing because the jealous rage in Herod, when he found out that there was going to be a new king that threatened his position, that threatened his status, he commanded that all two-year-olds would be, all people under two would be murdered. So the wise men set out on this dangerous journey. Um, I think they did it courageously and purposefully. It didn't matter what was in their path on this journey, whether it was a dangerous territory or they'd gone to the wrong place or how they were finding out. They were following that star with intention to find out who is this new king. And don't be fooled. God had a part to play, right, in laying on their hearts that this was something they really, really needed to discover. So they were leaving something that was familiar to them that to look for something they didn't understand and they couldn't possibly have, have anticipated. But how is this presence of the wise men relevant for us today in 2020 as we look ahead? Well, firstly, it brings connection. In a world that's connected 24-7, we have really lost the art of connecting. Hours spent online each day, sifting through whatever is posted. Um, but what is posted is, tends to not be real. It's just what we want people to perceive. This Christmas, um, I spent Christmas and Boxing Day with the same people. Um, some people had come from South Africa, where I lived for a long time. And um, we were together, um, about 15 of us. And it's the first time we've been together in 25 years. And there was a certain familiarity to that. Um, and it was, it was really nice because we just did Christmases the way we used to with the family and friends. And so we cooked together. We did dishes together. Um, I got a jigsaw for Christmas, and they completed it all by Boxing Day. Um, as we all had our little bits, and we were all swapping around to see different things, and we built it together, laughing, 
irritating each other at times, um, but having some conversations. And then we'd play some games that brought more raucous laughter. Um, I, I won't confess the games we were playing. Oh, they weren't that bad but, um, uh, that we were playing, but we had raucous laughter. We had some competitive spirit. Um, we had the inevitable monopoly overturning of the board. Um, and then at a point in the afternoon after the Queen's speech, uh, when you have a nap normally, every single person picked up their phone. Now, to be fair, um, unusually, nobody had picked up their phone until then, so um, that's a good thing. Um, but as I noticed that we were all sitting wherever we were sitting, and every single person on the phone had basically joined the 20-year-olds who had been on their phone for much longer, um, I, I asked uh, my friend, I said, what did we do years ago when we didn't have phones? What, what, in this moment, when we sat down to have tea together, what did we do? And, you know, it would have been different things. Some of us would have gone for a walk. Dad would have gone for his nap. And I've got to that age, you realize you do turn into your parents, because um, I needed one on Christmas Day. Um, you had the kids playing with each other with their new toys from Christmas. And then you came back together for, I don't know, snack in the evening. But all the time, you were connecting. And we had such a lovely time over these two days because we really did connect. Because nobody touched their phone after that. We'd made everybody aware that we picked up our phones. On Boxing Day, we were like, no phones. Um, and we're going to try and connect. Now, partly it was because we had one family that had come from South Africa, and we all had the opportunity to be with them. And there's such a, so, such a focused time, isn't it, when they're only here for a little while that you want to spend as much time together. Um, but we should have that desire with whoever we're with at whatever time of the year when we're together. Now, just don't hear me wrong. I'm not suggesting you should never have phones, never look at social media, never look at TV or any of those things. You know, they're part of our lives today and there's a place for them and there's some good things that come out of them. So I'm not saying that. Um, but a couple of days later, it was a New Year's Eve, in fact, um, oh no, the day before uh, New Year's Eve, I'd went out to breakfast with a friend, um, and um, I was sitting down, and, and she was sitting with her back to um, this family, and I could see what was happening in this family. And the father was sitting on this side with his back to me, with his computer, with his earphones in, and um, I'm sure he told his wife he was working, but let me tell you, he wasn't working. Um, because every time she kind of glanced, it would flick, <laughs> and he'd have his emails up. But other times, it was music, and it was Facebook, and it was all of those things. And so he was working on that. His wife was glaring at him in silence, staring at the ceiling, and the toddler was smearing granola and yogurt all over the table, entertaining himself. And I was like, how sad is that? I was in business uh, for 20 years uh, you know, with, with a reasonably senior job. We can take half an hour out on New Year's Eve to have breakfast with our family. And then I looked around the, um, the restaurant, and every single table, it wasn't age-dependent, there were different ages everywhere, every single table was sitting on their phones. And it just happened to be at that moment, and nobody was speaking. I'm like, what has happened to us when we can't even meet people, go out for a coffee, and not look at our phones? Now, to be fair, I don't go for coffee and sit on my phone, so don't, I don't want to make myself out like a saint. It just so happened at that point in time, we had decided not to have phones. Um, and so I'm just as guilty as anybody else if you're feeling guilty right now. 
that we have lost the art of connecting and really being present with each other. No wonder the Pope and Archbishop Justin um, both tackled connection in their Christmas and New Year messages. I love the Pope because he just tells people how it is. He doesn't really care if he upsets anyone. And he said this, I asked myself if you in your family know how to communicate. Or are you like those kids at meal tables where everyone is chatting on their mobile phones, where there is silence like there is at maths, mass, but they don't communicate? The connection is there, but we don't go deeper. You see, we need presence uh, with each other to build relationship. We need presence with God to build relationship with Him. But the one thing is, we need to be intentional about it. Because if we're not intentional about it, it just won't happen. And the wise men were intentional about being present with Jesus. They didn't know why or what was going to happen. But that was their intention. They didn't get distracted and they persevered when it was difficult. Secondly, presence allows for epiphany. When we're together and we're chatting and we're listening properly, we find things out about people that we didn't know before. And they may be fun things and surprising things. But when we really spend time in presence, we build trust and people can open up about what's really going on if we give them space to do that and we listen. When we seek the presence of God when we intentionally spend time to be present with him, he reveals himself to us. For the wise men, when they got there with all their expectations of this great king, and there was a baby in an animal feeder, that wasn't what they were expecting. And yet, they knew he was the king. And their lives were changed from there. Because all of a sudden, in God's presence, that deep longing was met. All of a sudden, in that presence, they understood something about God that they hadn't known before. And they found truth, they found hope, and they found meaning. I spent um, quite a lot of time in the prisons, not me in prison, um, but it, doing prison ministry in the prisons. And um, I used to go to Feltham Young Offenders and Bronzefield uh, Women's Prison. I started Alpha there and took a team in, and uh, we used to do that every week. And um, in the first course that I did at Feltham, um, you can imagine quite violent guys. I mean, it's been all over the news, hasn't it, about the violent eruptions in, um, in Feltham at the moment. But um, there was this man, a young man called Conrad. He was 21 years old. He was in prison um, for nine years minimum sentence. So if you're good, you can serve half your sentence. But uh, he would have had to do nine years. Um, and he was on trial. He was awaiting trial for another charge because he'd set his cell alight uh, in the prison. And so there was another charge coming. And he came into, um, into the chapel. He wasn't much taller than me. He was a lot slimmer. Um, and he had a missing tooth in front. So, you know, he, he, looked, he didn't really look like the thug that he uh, could be, actually. And uh, Conrad had a, a child of 18 months old. 
um, and what was the future going to be for him. And within the prison, he said, the only way you can survive here is to be uh, violent and to, and to show people who you are and what you are. And in that course, it, it was only, it was quite early on, actually. Um, the Holy Spirit in the prisons doesn't know he has to wait to the Holy Spirit day to work. He kind of works right from the uh, beginning. And um, we were praying for him one day, and he gave his life to the Lord. And I just remember him sitting there crying. And um, a couple of weeks later, the officer said to me, we don't know what's happened, but Conrad has completely changed. He doesn't argue. He doesn't fight. He walks away. Now, we hadn't told him to do that, but you see, in the presence of God, when he got his epiphany, he changed. And in his words, um, he had to move prisons because he was 21, and you can't stay in the young offenders. Um, his, his words to me at the end were, Donna, I was a man of violence, and with Jesus, I'm a man of peace. Isn't that fantastic? A moment in God's presence can change us. That's the power, that's the epiphany. And then lastly, Epiphany calls for a response. I think sometimes, um, you know, the one way it calls for a response is it calls for more. Now, Jesus is a bit like chocolate, right? Except you don't have the consequences of eating too much. Because when you get a small taste, one taste is not enough. You want more, and you want more. And you want more. If you've been touched by Jesus, it doesn't have to be as big as Conrad. He had a lot to turn around from. But however small the touch is through our lives, it gives us a desire for more because it's so good. And we always want more of a good thing, don't we? Just one touch from Jesus reveals the lies we've been sold in our lives. You're not good enough. You need to be more successful. The job you do is not important enough. Being an at-home mum, you've lost your career. Or maybe it's a picture of how we need to be. You have to be happy. You have to present to the world that nothing is wrong. You need to be independent. You don't need anyone. You do it on your own, and you cut off if anything else is different to that. These are all lies and it's lies that when we, we have people that we disagree with, we exclude them. The immigrants, maybe it's about race. I mean, we see it all over our society. Brexit. We cut off. But just one touch in his presence says, you are loved. You are worth it. Just one touch in his presence makes you look at someone else and say, look at that. Look at that positive thing in all the mess. Look at how beautiful that action was. Look at how beautiful they are. Just one touch from God tells us that we will have a life where we can flourish. He promises us a life and a life in all its abundance in John 10.10. 10. And just one touch tells us it's not independence we need. It's dependence. Dependence on God. And when you begin to do that, you'll want more of that too. And so we cry out for more. Also, when we're intentionally in his presence, we become secure in the knowledge of things. And when we're secure and confident in Christ, courage rises. Boldness rises. 
Uh, you look at incredible people of God, and there are many, many of those, and you will have your favorites. Um, but you look at them, and you think, huh, wow, that's amazing. Aren't they incredible? I could never do that. But you see, that's a lie, because I guarantee you, they, bo- they all start where we start, as a sinner who needs the love of Jesus. And the more they spend time in his presence, the courage they get to do what they do. Mother Teresa, ministering to the poorest of the poor all her life. Jackie Pullinger, 21, got in a boat 50 years ago and told the Lord to tell her where to get off. Who knew that she was going to minister to so many triad members, so many drug addicts, and then have a global ministry? Because when people hear of that ministry, their lives are changed elsewhere in the world. What about Brother Andrew, who smuggled Bibles into places that you weren't allowed to do, risking his life all the time? What courage is that? That comes from spending time in the presence of God, and courage rises up in those moments of epiphany. Jackie Pullinger, courage rose up in his presence when he said, get on a boat, I'll tell you where to get off, and she did it. We face evil every day. We face difficult choices every day. And life is quite often difficult, isn't it? It quite often wears us down. And we each have our personal battles, so never ever look at someone and think they don't have them. We all have our personal battles. But we have access to the power to overcome Each time in his presence, we are strengthened. Each time in his presence, when we know the truth, we can recognize it. So the passage we read today was, how do we recognize false spirits? Well, if you're in the presence of God, somebody that's not of God is going to be stark contrast, isn't he? Or she. Or it. In 1 John 4, 4 today, it says, You, dear children are from God, and have overcome them, overcome the false prophets and all the evil in the world. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. A touch from the presence of God means that God is with you, and you with him overcome in in his power. And the more we experience it, the more dependent we become on it because we know when we're out there on on our own, it's not going to work. And finally, in verse 322, we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. That's a calling for us to be intentional, isn't it? Come and ask. But it does require some changes because the next bit says we should be doing what pleases him. Um, no, it doesn't, what pleases him. And what pleases him would be that we connect. I was thinking um, to be intentional about some changes. Now, you know, when you preach, the sermon's more for the preacher than anybody else out there. So I can tell you that happens every time to me. And I have been um, really um, convicted of late um, about how time is spent and how much time we waste on social media or um, looking at our screens and not connecting. 
And I've, I've got this really good book called uh, Co A Common Rule. Um, it's a habit, uh, changing habits for daily distractions in, in the world we live in. So I recommend it. Um, but there's some simple things in there to get a new rhythm in life. And uh, I'm going to put some out there. Um, you can think of the excuses. I've probably thought of them all. Um, but actually, this is all about a choice, isn't it? So they're quite simple. Why not pray before you pick up your phone in the morning? Don't have to be a long prayer, but why not pray? In fact, why don't you leave your phone downstairs, get an old-fashioned alarm clock, so that you don't have to pick up your phone for those of you who said you need the alarm clock. I had friends that bought their kids and their husband an old-fashioned alarm clock for Christmas. Um, it did take them two days to work out how it worked, um, but that was an intentional thing, right? We're going to leave our phones downstairs. What about, you could be a bit bolder if you can do a bit more than just praying quickly before you, um, before you look, pick up your phone. What about reading your scripture before you pick up your phone? Because the thing is, once we pick up our phone, they're like an addiction, aren't they? Well, then I should check social media, I should check my emails in case work needs me. And before you know it, you're looking at the thing saying, oh, look at the time, I've got to rush and I've got to get ready. In the survey done this time last year, um, it said that on average, we spend two hours, 20 minutes a day on social media, on average. And I can tell you because I've been picking up my friend's kids' phones and looking at the screen time app that says how long they've been on it. It's much longer um, in my friend's kids' bad parenting, I guess. Um, and uh, we check our phones. This is interesting because I've noticed with me uh, looking at that. You, you, we pick up our phones on average 58 times a day just to check whether somebody needs our contact. So you see, if you make a choice and you're intentional, there's 30 minutes a day to do a Bible reading. Um, but I also know it's better to do it in the morning because otherwise the day overtakes you and, um, and the evening comes and you're tired. And then the other thing um, they suggest is limit your time. So what I've done on my phone that's easy to do on an app is I have limited my social media to 15 minutes a day collectively. So... Um, all the apps that I have for social media, 15 minutes a day. And then it comes up and says, your time lit's up, and I don't go back on it a day. Um, and do you know what? I haven't missed it. I know what's going on. I remember whose birthdays are on that day because it reminds me, and there's enough time for that. Um, and I'm able to comment and post and read some articles, but 15 minutes a day is enough. And here's another one. Why not choose a meal a day to eat with someone? We eat on the run. We're rushing here. Families come in, go out, eat individually. Choose one meal a day to eat together. I'll leave that with you. So in his presence, we can ask. And the key is um, when we're in his presence, we are more likely to have our prayers answered. That's not a theological thing. I'm not being heretical. But because in his presence, our desires are his desires. In his presence, he puts on our heart what he needs us to go and do, how he needs us to see people, relationships that need to be repaired, healing that needs to take place and happen. And so with him, when we ask, we receive because we do what pleases him, connection. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love your neighbor. Help the stranger. Be there for the poor. Bring healing to his people. Set the prisoner free. Make his love known. And we can't do that without connecting with people.
Justin Welby in his New Year message says this, Christian faith doesn't promise us a comfortable life. Christ promises us hope, meaning, peace, purpose, and joy, but not comfort. It's about following in the footsteps of Jesus who took the risk of connecting with people who were separated from him. So why don't we do as um, Justin suggests, uh, I think it's time, if you have made New Year's resolutions, to edit them and for people like me to make some. Let's go out for a heroic New Year's resolution. Let's resolve to reconnect, to reach out to just one person we don't know or from whom we have drifted apart. So as we look out ahead towards this year, it's going to have its ups and downs. It's going to have its joys and its excruciatingly painful times. But we know more than that. We are not alone. We are connected to the most powerful and loving God who wants to connect with us. And when we connect with him, we can connect with others with more meaning. So let's leave the familiar, our routines that we've created, and step in to a future that risks the impact of his presence. Expect the unexpected. Be delighted when it happens. Be challenged when it happens. And be known as you connect, reconnect, and be present in his presence. Amen. Amen.